You are listening to Uncommentary. So I want to talk to you about one of my favorite bookstores. Hearts and Minds Books is located in Pennsylvania. I've never been there, but I met the owner, Byron Borger, online, I think via Twitter. And um, I want to tell you why I use Hearts and Minds as often as I can. Uh, First, I'm a huge fan of independent booksellers. Uh, You know as well as I that when the great behemoth Amazon finally uh, began its quest to take over the world, um, that it is easy to order from Amazon, have the books delivered directly to your door. Uh, But over the course of several years, as Amazon was growing, a lot of independent booksellers, mom-and-pop type shops, uh, they really suffered, and many of them went out of business. Well, there's been a resurgence, and I'm really glad about that. Uh, And one of my favorites is Hearts and Minds Minds Books. And so if you'll go to heartsandmindsbooks.com, now this is what's simple about it. You're not going to see an inventory page. You're not going to see – you don't shop on heartsandmindsbooks.com in the way that you would at, say, barnesandnoble.com. Um, basically go to the inquiry page, uh, and you can send a message to Byron and ask, is a certain book available? Now they have hundreds of thousands of titles they can get, but that's where you start. Um, then you can go to the order page and you literally type in the name of the book that you want and the author, whether you want hardback or paperback, uh, and they'll respond to you and let you know what the availability is. Uh, how much shipping is going to be for your shipping options. Uh, And you say, well, doesn't that take a little bit of extra time? It does take a little bit of extra time. So if you need your book tomorrow, this may not be the route that you want to go, although they can ship overnight. But when you know you have some books coming up, whether they're textbooks or whether they're some other books, unless it's a special order or a self-published type of title that are harder to get, uh, if it's a normal book, uh, they can probably locate it for you. So you can go to the inquiry form and ask, Then you go to the order form and type in the information and uh, respond to all the information they ask for, and uh, they'll get back with you. And if you mention uncommentary in the uh, order blank, then uh, you'll get 20% off any title. You can also subscribe to the book notes where they feature several books uh, in each note with reviews, and you can order those through booksandheartsandminds.com as well. Uh, But I really encourage you to check them out, especially if if only 10% of your book orders uh, you switch over to to them. That'll be huge for them, and it won't cost you that much more. Uh, and I'm trying to do at least that. And so I encourage you, heartsandminds.com, and mention Uncommentary Podcast for a 20% discount on most items, and they'll let you know when it applies. Well, John C. Richards Jr. is a uh, thought leader, gifted teacher, and gifted writer speaker. Graduate of Morehouse College, Howard University School of Law. Dude, that's like that's like bookending your education right there. I mean, yep, it sure is. That is so legit. <laughs> and then uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. I mean, that's all. I mean, that's like that's cool. But compared to Morehouse and Howard University, that's like oh, and he also went to Fuller Theological Seminary. <laughs> just to throw in. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> just just for you people who like the theological side of things. Uh, so your website says you're currently per- pursuing a PhD. Are you still pursuing or have you grabbed it yet? Well, actually we're, we're taking a slight break. As okay. you can tell, I'm, uh, I'm super busy these days. Uh, so we're taking a little bit of break on the PhD program. I've been in school my entire life. So oh, we put pause on that, but, uh, was in a program at Southeastern Baptist and Christian leadership for sure. Okay, cool. Uh, married two kids serves as pastor of assimilation at St. Mark Baptist Church. Is that in Little Rock? 
in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yes, Little sir. Rock, Arkansas. Well, John C. Richards Jr., welcome to Uncommentary. No, thanks for having me, man. Hey, uh, so you and I, I don't think I've ever like met IRL in real life. I think we're just like Twitter friends, which is cool. Um, but last week, uh, when the news broke nationally about, uh, Ahmed Arbery, one of the things that I noticed, uh, in my Twitter feed was you saying, Hey, I'm glad the national news finally uh, figured out what was going on because, uh, I've been aware of this since it happened in February, Brunswick's mm-hmm. my hometown. And I'm like, Oh man, what in the world? So, yeah. Um, how did you find out? When did you find out? And, and what's been going on between the time you knew and, uh, the time that it made the news nationally? Yeah. So, um, I'm from Brunswick. I have a, my family's still there. Mom still lives in the house I grew up in wow. 40 plus years. So, uh, it certainly is home for me. I, I spent 18 years of my life there. So my family's still there. My brother is still there. He's a coach in high school, coaches at Brunswick High School there. And um, he called me up distraught one day Mm. because there was a news report of a young man that he actually coached in football who had been shot and killed. And he had talked to the mother, and things weren't adding up with the story that she was told with what she knows about her child. Mm. And the local newspaper had used the police report to report the actual case and the actual incident and things that people were reading weren't quite adding up. And the newspaper also concluded with Arbery's criminal history as if it had anything to do with the incident itself. So he was distraught. He wanted to know what it is he could do or the local community could do collectively to kind of make sure that they um, honored Ahmad and got justice for Ahmad. So I told him I would, Uh, get on a Facebook Live with him and try to address the community and give them four action steps moving forward. This was on April 3rd that we did this. So this was a month before uh, National News got kind of wind of it. And we just started making calls, doing grassroots stuff, man, making calls, sending out emails, um, making sure that we called the Brunswick News, told them that the profile they'd done wasn't uh, balanced enough for us and tried to hold them to account there, called the local district attorney's office, put in multiple submissions for the police incident report that we read about but had not seen personally. So we wanted to make sure that we garnered the local attention, and then we reached out to national figures um, to make sure that they also understood it. So it took about three weeks for uh, people to pick it up nationally, but we certainly were working locally, or the people there were, were working locally, and I was working with them. Uh, remotely here from Little Rock, Arkansas. And it's just been great, man. It's been great kind of seeing the national support, but it certainly started as a local grassroots effort. One of the things you mentioned uh, that your brother said about uh, the way uh, Ahmad was being described didn't match up with the guy that he knew and the family uh, reputation. And a lot of times we see this, um, people want to drudge up dirt or they want to uh, they want to point to the worst of a person's history, but it really did seem like in this case, most of the people who knew him were like, he's a really easygoing guy. He likes to exercise. Nobody was like, Oh, he's been in trouble his whole life. <laughs> you know, he's been in and out yeah. of jail forever. You know, we expected this to happen one day. None of that stuff seemed to pop up. It was all like, this was a good guy and this yeah. shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did it, how did the, um, his mom or the family members, 
begin to realize that some of the things, uh, how it had been reported by the police or uh, received anyway, uh, didn't really line up with, with what was going on. Yeah, so I think the mom initially was told that it was a home invasion. Oh, my and word. And he was, he was shot based on the fact that he had went in someone's home as a home invasion um, and that it was self-defense. And and that did not sit well with her because she knew why he left the house, what he left the house for, was to go for a run. Mm-hmm. And to hear that was something that was disconcerting for her, something that did not add up for her. So she, from the beginning, Miss Wanda Cooper has been um, pressing to hear the truth, to get the truth. But the thing that I guess made her distraught was that investigators, police early on were telling her, that this was a home invasion. And um, for them, it seemed like it was open and shut case. But for the people of Brunswick, it was something that we kept open and wanted to keep open. And now the floodgates have opened, and we're um, excited about learning what the actual truth was. When I read the police report, and I've actually written this up as a draft for a blog post that I don't know if I'm ever going to get it short enough to put on the Internet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I read the police report that I, I'm assuming it's the one, same one you saw. This one was published in the New York Times, or at least hosted at a New York Times website. Um, mm-hmm. And I read the report, and it's like these guys confessed to the police. This was like a confession of murder or at least a confession Mm -hmm. of homicide. The police recorded it as a homicide. Mm -hmm. And the uh, and then nothing happened. The the uh, McMichaels just went home and the police filed the report and everybody went about their business. I mean, as well as you know, that area, is that unexpected or was that like, yep, business as usual? Well, they came to the conclusion that they weren't going to affect an arrest in that case. And from a legal perspective, is that's really troubling that there was not at least probable cause mm-hmm. for some type of um, act happening that was an arrestable offense. Um, being that months later, the GBI came to that conclusion within several days without with having the same evidence that the police had on hand that day. Now, we've since discovered that uh, the police did call, did call a couple of assistant district attorneys to ask, well, at least from their perspective, to ask what they should do. Um, uh, the district attorney actually did an interview today saying that her ADA said that they could not touch the case because uh, they knew their former investigator, McMichaels, and had to recuse themselves. But it's just odd that the police would call an ADA to determine whether or not they could affect an arrest in the case. Uh, that wouldn't have happened with Marquise Johnson um, across town, yeah. on the other side of town. They wouldn't have <laughs> called the ADA for that. Right. So it's just strange to me that, that they would do that to see whether or not they need to affect the arrest. And then in the end, they did not arrest him. And because of the history there as someone who's a former investigator in the office, in the district attorney's office, um, definitely seems like something that wouldn't have happened in normal circumstances. It, um, I think the elder McMichael was also, um, in law enforcement in the area at one point, was he not? Yeah. He was a police officer prior to doing his investigation in the DA's office. Okay. Yes. That's what I was thinking. So there was a, a deep intertwining, uh, with his experience in the law enforcement community there. Yeah, sure thing. Um, what has, um, what has been the response? Uh, I mean, 
the deep south of the United States of America is a place where, generally speaking, the police are believed. Um, there, I mean, this is not anything new. Um, I was raised just south of Atlanta. Um, you know, I was raised never to question anything the police ever said, and I didn't for decades. Um, if it if it came from law enforcement, then that's what we were to believe. But was there any suspicion at all um, in the wider community? I know that your brother had some concerns. The the mom the family had some concerns. Did the wider community begin to think this just doesn't add up? The 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 way that this is coming together doesn't work. Um, at a at a sense of how this is re, how this was reported uh, by the police versus the McMichaels are still walking around up until a week ago, uh, still walking around business as usual while a family is grieving a dead son. Yeah, I think that there certainly, especially over the past several years have been even locally and even at a national level, kind of this, uh, increase of black, brown and blue tension in terms of relationship with police officers, but specifically in Glen County, um, days after the shooting, uh, there was uh, a grand jury that indicted the police chief, um, who who now is on administrative paid leave because of some things that were happening in the police department. So to say that there was a distrust, a general distrust for the county police, because Brunswick has a city police department and a county police department, um, would certainly be a statement that has some veracity, some truth. Because the county police department now is unaccredited. Wow. Um, they don't have their state accreditation. They're working towards getting it back. But in 2018, they were, um, they got a report from the uh, chief of police's council in Georgia that told them that there were some things they needed to do to shore up their police department. And one of those things included implicit bias training, mm. um, which they had not been providing their officers nor were they taking uh, demographic information from their arrest for the uh, police chief's counsel to be able to uh, determine whether or not their stops were uh, stops that included implicit bias. So right now, as we speak, they are supposedly working on a plan to update policies and procedures to work through uh, implicit bias training so that they could get their uh, accreditation back from the state. Uh, Chief of Police's Council. So absolutely, in Glen County, there certainly is some issues with the county police department that um, have cropped up over the years. And this is just probably it's rearing its ugly head in this case. Explain explain uh, implicit bias for uh, anybody who's listening for whom that may be a new phrase uh, or mm-hmm. a phrase they may have heard and weren't sure what it means. Yeah, uh, at least from a layperson's perspective, it is um, some presuppositions that individuals carry into certain circumstances. So if um, a white police officer were to see an African-American male who had locked hair or dreadlocked hair and um, who was walking down the street in a neighborhood that is predominantly white, and he or she, that police officer, um, may assume certain things about that person, i.e. that they don't belong in that neighborhood, uh, things of that nature. So that implicit bias isn't something that you see externally from the officer. They're not going to say that they're, they're thinking those things, but those are things that help them make decisions on the ground. 
so so that type of training, implicit bias training, helps people to recognize the bias and to work through and work past that in order to create in order to create an environment where you treat people as human beings first. This is Marty Deere, and we're listening to uh, Doctor. Almost said, "Doc, you are you a doctor?" No, okay. I have a Jewish doctorate, but not a doctor. <laughs> uh, lawyer, uh, pastor. Actually, John C. Richards Jr. We're talking about uh, Brunswick, Georgia, and uh, Ahmed Arbery, and uh, we're going to talk about that some more right after this. So, what does it take to keep uncommentary on the air? Uh, technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling, and there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room and their home. Uh, it's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash uncommentary, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month. I mean, that's like foregoing a 20-ounce Coke one time a month. And you can become a uh, $2 a month contributor, supporter level. Uh, if you choose the $3 a month, you'll get a podcast logo, an uncommentary podcast logo. If you choose $5, the gold level, you'll get a mug. And these are actually pretty nice um, mugs. If you choose $10, you'll get a sticker and a mug. Uh, if you go above that, then there's other stuff. I mean, if you've just got like money to spare and you want to give $250 a month, we could really do some upgrades around here. Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot and uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentary pod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentary pod or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts. So you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. Well, John, what do you think are the, um, the next steps that'll happen, uh, regarding Ahmed Arbery's case? Yeah, I think that, you know, when we think about the McMichael's arrest, which we're grateful for, that that's certainly going to be, um, what we focus on is thinking through how we can, uh, continue to see that through to the end. Um, and then also on top of that, think about the different levels of systemic change that we're looking to happen. So what we've done is we put together an action committee for uh, the I Run With Mod Facebook group or page. Um, that page is on Facebook Live now, and, and we certainly have about 80,000 people who are following us wow. and helping us along in this process. So we put together local action items, things that people need to do locally, and then we separate them from global action items, things that people can help us from a global perspective, whether it be uh, sending emails to uh, certain officials who have the case at the district attorney level or at the Department of Justice level, just to give people next actionable steps to help continue to pursue justice for Ahmad in this case, and then on top of that, making sure we hold all of our local officials to account. So that means that we're looking at having someone run against our district attorney mm. uh, in the fall. Mm -hmm. So we're 
um, talking to the independent candidate for the district attorney's office to see what his platform will be, how that would be different. That office has run unopposed for 24 years. Oh, my goodness. So so at this point, we're looking um, to at least get someone else on the ballot and then talk with that person about their philosophy, about their platform, and also continue to build people in the community to run for future office so that we can have people who um, are seeking justice in instances like this so that we don't have to um, look to external forces to actually bring about justice in the local community. Uh, one of the things that has been troubling for me is to see that, that the outside forces had to come in to influence what should have happened locally in the first instance. Yeah. So building those structures, building that systemic change is going to be something that's going to help build a sustainable future for Glen County. And I'm definitely personally invested in that because that's my hometown. Yeah. Um, did you see anything, uh, did you see any kind of maybe a pivot in the way that um, specifically white Christians responded uh, once this broke? Um, I think back on uh, incidents like uh, Walter Scott in North Carolina or John Crawford in Ohio or Philando Castile in Minnesota. And there was always uh, seemed to be, and I, I can't even guess it, about how broad this would have been or how narrow, but there always seemed to be this, uh, yeah, but uh, if he mm-hmm. hadn't been doing this or if he, you know, whatever. Uh, and some complaints are legitimate, but none of them were uh, legitimate enough for the person to wind up dead. Um, mm-hmm. it, it seemed overwhelming this time of people mm-hmm. speaking out that this is wrong. There needs to be justice. There needs to be some kind of an investigation into this. Um, mm-hmm. am I, am I being too optimistic or did you see that as well? I did see that Marty, but what my problem is the fact that it took a video to at least say something, mm-hmm. um, was troubling for me. I, I, you know, I've told people this before, but Maddie Teal, Emmett Teal's mother, mm-hmm. she, she got a chance to make a choice whether or not the world viewed her son's body. This man's mother and father did not get to make that choice. Wow. And his body was put on public display in order for people to be outraged. Why does it take that? Yeah. Why, why does it take that happening and for us to say, okay, now can move beyond, let's see all the facts, to see this graphic video, a public execution being played out publicly that a mother had not even seen yet that we had to shield her from mm. seeing um, in order for people to be outraged. Grateful that people are outraged, but it should not always have to take that. It shouldn't always have to take that. And, and then that's when you have to ask Christian leaders and believers, why is that the case when it comes to people of color? And I'm pretty sure you've read articles about the black exodus from evangelicalism, mm-hmm. and it's a continued exodus because of incidences like this. And a lot of African Americans saying, thank you for speaking up now, and we have our own but. But why did it take that? Yeah. And you got to be able to wrestle with that as a Christian leader. Got to be able to wrestle with that as a believer. And if you're interested at all in any reconciliation, you got to be able to wrestle with that as someone who is committed to the ministry of reconciliation 
when your brothers and sisters are hurting. What is um? Give us a uh, give us a theology of justice that allows us to uh, to think about. Uh, situations like this and others. Um, I don't want to limit it to this, but I think especially in white evangelicalism or the evangelicalism that uh, I'm most familiar with, I'll say it that way, justice was not really a thing. Um, Mm. I I mean, I'm Southern Baptist by background. Uh, Virtually my entire life has been spent in Southern Baptist churches. And uh, I mean, cosmic justice, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross uh, the wrath of God mm-hmm. was satisfied. I mean, all those things, yes. But any kind of temporal mm-hmm. application, the the prophets and other, you know, Isaiah and Amos and the mm-hmm. the the calls for justice and the the condemnation by God over certain sins and His demand for justice in the gates and and things like that, or uh, mm-hmm. simply very little part of the experience that I knew and a lot of people that that I know and have talked about talked with over the years. Um, give us a theology of, of what I would just call temporal or day-to-day justice. What, what are we looking for, and what's the biblical basis to speak out about these things? Yeah. So this is very unique to the American experience. Because if you, if you ask someone who has read the entirety of Scripture, they would not see any type of conflict between proclamation of the gospel and then also living out the implications of the gospel. And part of living out the implications of the, of the gospel is seeking the peace of the city in which you live. It is what Micah 6, 8 tells us in Micah 6, 8, when he says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Mm. So, so, so justice is interwoven in the gospel story and the gospel account. As a matter of fact, there's this, this cosmic justice you talk about where, where God himself has placed the sins of the world on his son. Um, but from a micro level, at the very least, as we are believers, redeemed believers, if we really believe the Lord's prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer that he's teaching them, mm-hmm. and we're saying we want earth to look like heaven, and we know heaven is a place where where God has re- has redeemed or is, has sat in heaven, Jesus Christ is sat in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And it's a place where we all long for, that we that we know that, that God is perfect in His holiness, that He's affected justice through His Son. So if we're longing for that and we're praying from that, for, for heaven to invade earth, then surely, as believers, as we live our existence here, we have to be able to say, how what ways can we seek that temporal justice as we await the coming Savior. It does not excuse us from seeking justice. Um, preaching the gospel and living the gospel are not diametrically opposed. Right. <laughs> we, live in this, we live in this bipolar country and society when we all need to be both and Christians, mm-hmm. where we need to both proclaim the good news of the gospel but also turn around and live that out every single day. Mm. So, so for us, for me, I preach the gospel. I proclaim the good news of the kingdom. I tell people that in order to be in a right, right relationship with God, they need to come through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it changes everything about your life. Yeah. And that also means that you pursue the peace of the city around you, that you pursue justice in your sphere of influence, 
and that you continue to seek that peace um, and that shalom all around you. So, so it doesn't excuse us. And I think part of it was based on the social justice movement that happened in the early 20th century that has given people, quote-unquote, a bad taste mm. in their mouth and saying that we're in the Billy Graham proclamation camp and we're in the John Stott, well, what about this justice piece or social justice piece? That's what Lausanne was all about, um, the Lausanne movement. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that what we have to do is we have to be able to say, I'm a both-and believer. There's, there's no gospel apart from impacting the culture around me. And I want to be able to be able to proclaim the gospel and also live the gospel. It does seem like a weird, uh, a weird position to hold that sanctification is all about an internal change that doesn't really mm-hmm. affect anything outside. Um, yeah. if it's all about, you know, being more patient or if it's all about having more joy, uh, then, then what are we, uh, what do we, where's the light? What, what does the light light if, everything mm-hmm. that happens is internal. If you know, the city that's set on a hill, Jesus said, cannot be hidden. Uh, if everything is internal, then there's very little light escaping other than just the way that we would treat each other saying, you know, yes, ma'am, no ma'am. Thank you. And you're welcome. Um, mm-hmm. or helping someone get their truck out of a ditch or something like that. Uh, but mm-hmm. it has to be broader. It seems to me sanctification has to be broader than these uh, individual, uh, personal, uh, spiritual growth, as important as that is, it certainly doesn't seem limited to that uh, in the text mm. of Scripture. And Marty, if I subscribe to the idea that we're we're here just to proclaim the good news without living it, then we'd all be living in 1963. Yeah. <laughs> and as an African-American Christian, I think that our white brothers and sisters have a lot to learn about being able to live out the gospel and its social implications, Mm -hmm. because we believed and proclaimed the same gospel in the 60s. And we turned around and said, well, if that is true, then we need to be able to um, advocate for people who are made in God's image and who are no different than anyone else. And the civil rights movement was birthed out of that. Now, if I subscribe, subscribe to that other perspective of proclamation without living it out, then I'm not sure we'd be where we are today. And so we have to we have to take notes from that and understand that there's much more work that needs to be done, that we have not arrived, and that we can probably learn a lot from the black church in in terms of how they mobilized and how they were able to pursue justice and peace. Well, many of the same arguments that are used uh, against abortion on demand, having to do with the Imago Dei and children, or you know, babies being the image of God, and we don't have the right to take their lives, uh, you can really overlay a lot of the same theological components to from the mm-hmm. civil rights movement uh, to, on the abortion movement, which or the pro life movement, which we should evenly lay over so many mm-hmm. things in this world today, whether it's human trafficking or whether it's um, yeah. uh, abuse from authority figures, we'll just say law enforcement in this case, um, yeah. or unjust yeah. death. You know, all of these all of these arguments, these biblical positions that spring out of the Imago Dei and that life is worth living and even questions about mm-hmm. uh, capital punishment, whether it's whether we can do it right. Let me say it that way. Uh, all have this stem in uh, people have inherent dignity and worth that comes from God, 
and we mm-hmm. should be looking out for each other when that uh, when that dignity is stripped away or when those rights I'll just use that word uh, are abrogated in some way mm-hmm. and we shouldn't mm-hmm. limit it to just one single thing we shouldn't pick our favorite one and say this is the only one that matters and I think there is a tendency to do that and we have to remember that the Imago Day is present from the womb to the tomb. Mm-hmm. So if you stop in that one place and once a baby is born, they somehow lose that Imago right. Day. <laughs> and and then and then you're viewing them differently because they're incarcerated. Yeah. Or because they're an immigrant. Then we have to do a, a self uh reflection yeah. and think through why or how did they lose God's image? And what is that saying as a reflection on God that he cannot sustain the image of God in that person once they are born. Mm. So we got to think through that theologically and also sociologically. Mm-hmm. Like, why does that happen when you can't respect the Imago Dei in a person after they're born? Um, and then as they go through life from the womb to the tomb, that's a problem. And that's a problem in our country because we're single-issue voters, we're single-issue thinkers, but to be more holistic, you have to think from the t- time they're born to the time they die, how can I honor the Imago Dei in that person? John, you're on, uh, you're on Twitter and you have a website. Uh, give everybody your information there. Uh, Twitter is John C. Richards Jr. Website is johncrichardsjr.com. On Facebook, John C. Richards Jr. And Instagram, at John C. Richards. So those are all the locations I'm at. Oh, man, you're nothing if not consistent. <laughs> try to be, man. I try to be. <laughs> That's awesome. Brother, I uh, I so appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Godspeed on your efforts. And uh, we, we long for the day uh, that justice is affected and injustice doesn't even take place. Thanks for having me, brother. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solideo Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast.